enjoyed that. It's wonderful to be able to, uh, well, there's something therapeutic about music just on its own, but then you add the component of the, the, being able to get that gospel message out. It's just even, it's, it's just even more lovely. And I'm going to invite you, if you will, let's get to the Word, to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. As you're turning there, I want to let you know, yesterday we had a leader's retreat, which I, between 25 and 30 of you came out. And we were, we were probably downstairs for about, about two, two and a half hours. And I just want to just let you know, just for those of you that may not be serving on a team or weren't able to be at the leader's retreat, I'm so thankful for the group that was able to get together. I know there were some that weren't able to because of prior commitments. But it was just such a sweet time to be able to get together and to be able to think through about all the implications of what it means to connect all people to the truth and hope in Jesus, which is our, our mission that God has given to us over the years, or over this past year, I should say. And to, to know that we're able to serve together and to be together for a common cause, I think all of us left out of there um, just feeling just wonderful and, and really grateful that we can be a part of something that can set a trajectory all the way into eternity. And so I'm encouraging you with this. When we're talking about spiritual gifts, that's along the same line, is that God has equipped you and given you what you need to be able to follow through. And he's given it to you in just the right proportion, in just the right way. And we can move forward just knowing that he is with us as Lord, but he's also given us something to be able to help the common good, which I don't know about you, I like feeling useful. And through those spiritual gifts, we can feel useful. So let's stand together as we read uh, verses 1 to 7. We're going to be covering the majority of the chapter, but just to set us up for the morning, let's look at verses 1 to 7 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And it says this. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord stands forever. You may be seated. So just as I was mentioning last, well, just, just, before, the, um, just before the sermon got started, and I wanted to let you know just how, as we were being encouraged yesterday, I want all of you to be encouraged by this. I hope that you've realized some of you have taken a spiritual gifts test, and maybe that was the first time you've taken one, or maybe that was the 10th one that you had taken. And maybe the, the gifts, if you've taken them over the years, maybe you've seen the gifts change as you've changed going from chapter to chapter and, uh, and piece to piece. But I want you to be encouraged because as we go through this, there's going to be a little bit in here that's going to be looking at that. What do I have to give? What, what do I have to offer? And what we tend to do is tend to look at somebody else's gifting or somebody else's talent, and we try to compare ourselves to that. I mean, we saw this a little bit earlier, Diane. You were, you know, there is a piano professor in the room, you know, that's here. And sometimes you can, you can look at that comparison and think, well, what do I have to give in comparison to that? What we're going to see this morning is that God has given each of us a gift, and he's given it to us in his proportion. 
he may have given others gifts to overflowing and for some of us may have giftings that are just in a, at a certain level but that's what he's given to us and he's put us in the place that he would have us to be i initially thought that i was going to be a, a music minister and that's what god was was moving me toward until he put me in a different spot i will tell you this during that transition so that i was a minister of music and youth down in South Florida, a little place called Cluiston, right on the southern rim of Lake Okeechobee. And I remember there was about an 18-month period when God called me to preach. There was about an 18-month period before he called me and I surrendered. And I'm telling you, there was a, a bit of a turmoil that was going on inside of me because it, it was like I, I, I knew this was familiar and I had spent all of my time you know, in, in college and in seminary and that's not cheap and that's not free and that's a lot of time and that's a lot of time in the practice room when I went and you know and then you you would do you were moving toward this one goal and then all of a sudden God comes in and tells you something else and you know you have to go and you know you have to surrender but you're leaving a familiarity and you're leaving just so many other you, you're it, it's such a turmoil that happens but when you finally say Lord okay I can't tell you the peace that I had in doing that. Piano has served me well over the years as a tool among others. But this is what God has called me to do. And I'm very thankful that he has done so. But God may be putting you into that piece of turmoil where you're, you're looking at this gift and you're like, I don't want to do that. I'm not sure about that. What's this going to mean? What's this, what's this call going to be all about? How am I going to move forward with this when everybody else, you know, I, I'm, everybody else is telling me this, but God, you're telling me this. And I think when we look at what God is, is doing here and we begin to focus more on him as Lord, then what's going to happen is everything else will come together. There's really nobody else on the planet that's going to be able to tell you really what you should be. But the Lord is there to help us get us where we need to be. So Christ wants a lot from us. And one of the things that he wants from us, number one, is for us to be informed. And I love that Jesus has not left us in the dark on things. We may think he has. Or there may be things that we wish that he would tell us, but he's not going to tell us right now. We, we wouldn't be able to, to handle it. We wouldn't be able to deal with it. But when I read to you verses 1 to 3, it's interesting. He doesn't just go. He says, now, he says, now concerning spiritual gifts. And he waits a little bit to talk about the spiritual gifts. He's establishing something here. He's establishing that he is Lord. And I want you to be informed. And he's saying this. I want you to be informed that Jesus is Lord. Before we get into the spiritual gifts, know the one who gives the gifts. So he says here, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, and that word is the same word like we would get the word Gentiles. It comes from that word ethne, ethnic. When you're non-Jewish, when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. And this seems kind of abrupt. If you're reading through 1 Corinthians, it seems kind of abrupt. And it's like now for something completely different. And he goes off in this way. 
Well, that's because he's responding to some issues that were going on. There was a misuse of spiritual gifts. Again, it was either, I don't think I have a gift, therefore I have nothing to contribute, or I have a gift, and boy, my gift is fantastic, and it's better than your gift. And so there was a jockeying and a positioning of superiority versus superior gifts versus inferior gifts. No, 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 no. That's not how this works. What he's doing is he is establishing that there is one Lord over all that is dispensing these gifts out to everybody in that proportion, and we should be content in that, which we will get to. But the mute idols, they were serving mute idols. They weren't saying anything. They couldn't do anything. Those idols were idols that were built by their own hands. Now we don't necessarily have that in our culture. We don't have idols that are built by hands. Well, some are, you know, cars and sports and things like that. But now the idols are ideas. And sometimes we are building these ideas that people think, well, you should really get around these ideas. This is going to be the hope of the world. And then within 15, 20, 30 years, it comes crashing down. And then someone's trying to build another idol. But that's not who we have. We don't have a mute idol. We have a God who speaks. A living God who speaks. He's given us his word that is living and active, Hebrews 4 says, sharper than any two-edged sword. So it's not like we're having to figure it out for ourselves or build this for ourselves. He is there to show us exactly what we're about and to equip us for the task that he has for us. So out of the overflow of the heart, Jesus says the mouth speaks. Well, that's where he's saying there is some people are saying, well, the spirit of God is saying Jesus is a curse. No, it's not. And no, he's not. I say it. That's a false spirit. The spirit, he is always telling us that Jesus is Lord. If something is operating by the spirit, it's going to exalt the lordship of Christ. So be careful when you get around, you may get around folks that want to so exalt the Spirit that they forget Jesus. The Spirit is all about elevating Jesus and lifting Him high. So therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can ever say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit has galvanized our heart to the Lordship of Christ. Self is gone. We've denied self. Self is no longer Lord. Jesus is Lord. How does that affect spiritual gifts? Well, if you have a spiritual gift that God has given to you, you're not going to use that gift that God has given you to exalt you. You're going to use that gift that God has given to you to exalt him. And so we come where we're to this passage where Paul, why aren't you getting right to what spiritual gifts are all about? I've taken the test. I need to know a little bit more about this. Why are you delaying? Jesus is Lord. And he wants you to be informed by that. He's telling us where we need to go and what we need to do. Secondly, it's Christ wants us to be working for the common good. He wants you working for the common good. And I love that. So you go to verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts. And some of the gifts, I mean, that we had on the spiritual gifts test, I mean, there may be others. There may be lots of different ways that God would have you to serve, but it's the same Spirit that gives those gifts. Uh, there are varieties of service. Now, that, well, let me go back to where it's talking about the varieties of gifts. That's that word charisma, a, a free grace gift that God has given to you. When you get now to, there are varieties of service. Well, that word, that we get the word deacon, 
That's the same word, diakonos. It means to, to serve, to roll up your sleeves to the glory of God and get after the tasks that need to be done. We don't think that they're beneath us or below us because we've got whatever gift we may feel like we have. No, we, we, we do and we see the need and we go after what he has called us to do. And then it talks about this, and there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers all in every one. That, that word, both the word activities which, and, and the word empowers, actually come from the same root where we get the word energy. So if you're, if you're engaged in an activity to the glory of God, you're going to be exerting some energy. It's a work. It's something you're, you're doing for the glory of God. Well, that work that you're doing, God is expending energy toward you to help you get through the work. When you see a, a passage such as, well, in Philippians chapter 2, in verses, 11, or verses 12 and 13, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but how much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That doesn't mean that you can save by your, you're saved by your works. It means that when you are saved, you've got to keep making sure that you are doing your part and not surrendering to the flesh but you're surrendering to what the spirit is calling you to do but that's not the end of it that's there's a comma there that means there's more to it work out your own salvation with fear and trembling comma for it is god who works in you so the work that you're doing for the glory of god it is the work that god is doing in you he is empowering you to be able to do that to both to will and to work for his good pleasure not your good pleasure. However, I would say this. If you are all in, you are loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. You're loving your neighbor as yourself. Well, you say, well, that kind of sounds boring. I wish that was my pleasure. Listen, if Christ overtakes you and, you are, and, and he is your Lord and he has changed your heart, his pleasure is your pleasure. And your pleasure will want to be his pleasure. You're not going to want to do anything that is out of bounds of what he's called you to do. You're going to want to serve him as Lord. And if he's given you a gift, then let's get after it and see what he has called us to do. Because each of these gifts, in verse 7 it talks about, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. We're supposed to use our gifts to build each other up, not tear each other down. That's why gossip and talking behind someone else's back and, or, you know, even especially if you couch it as a prayer request, may heaven help us if we end up doing that. But that's why when we gossip or when we talk against each other and say something against each other, that's why it is so detrimental and so really demoralizing because you're not using your gifts. You're not even using the basic words that God has given you to use that are supposed to be for his glory and to love your neighbor as yourself. You're, you're undermining it. You're not building up for the common good. You may feel better. You may feel great about getting that off of your chest, but that's not about you feeling better. It's about us bringing glory to God. And when the Lordship of Christ has overtaken us, then we're not going to want to do that anymore. That's going to be grossly distasteful to us. We use our words, we use our giftings, we use our activities, we use the service in order to build up the church for the glory of God. And by the way, the world will take notice because there may be, there are some, all of us have family members, all of us have friends who have come across someone who, who didn't get the memo, who didn't get the memo, that, that, that we are supposed to build each other up, that they will know that you are my disciples if you love one another, 
Well, by our actions sometimes, we may do great harm to the cause of Christ because we have forgotten that Jesus is Lord of our lives and we think that we're Lord of our lives. We've got to be very, very careful how we go about that. Number three, which I would like to spend a a significant amount of time on. Don't get nervous, but I'd like to spend a significant amount of time on this. When it's talking about three, that Christ wants you content with what he's given to you. There's an epidemic in our churches um, of a lack of contentment. We're discontent with how the country is going. Understandable. Understandable. We're discontent about how the country's going. We may be discontent about the income that we have coming in. We may be discontent with the house that we have. We may be discontent with with our neighbors. Discontent with this. I, w- I wish you know. I wish I could move back to Texas or Virginia or Kentucky or Florida or wherever. Discontent. 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 Over and over and over again. And and it it takes away a lot of the joy that we can have in what God has given to us. Sometimes we can miss. The blessings that God has given to us because we're so fixated on what we wish we had or what we wish we were and we miss the, we're, we're discontent. So in, in April 28th of 2023 um, in Discover Magazine, there was, it was an article entitled, Contentment is the Most Underrated Key to Happiness. It's not a Christian magazine, by the way, that, but they got the memo. They understand. And so there was a psychotherapist named Nero Feliciano, and he contends that when our plates are full, we have less mental bandwidth to engage in any sort of appreciation because we're distracted with what we have to do next. Can I get a witness? Uh, Can I get a witness? Yeah. So get distracted with what we have to do next. We spend too much time in fight or flight mode with our sympathetic nervous system preparing for a threat. Oh, what's coming up? What's next? You get the idea. Striving causes the production of adrenaline, and while it can be exciting at the beginning, it is not ultimately good for your body. And this is the payoff of this paragraph. Contentment comes from paying attention to what we have, and unless we slow down, we're unable to notice the little things that matter. That is not a Christian magazine. But was he tapping into something that God has been trying to tell us all along? The key, a key, not the key. There's lots of little keys that make it all work together. But the key to a a key to the fruit of the Christian life is contentment. So so if if I were to be able to put the little veloscope up there and be able to see what's playing in the pipes with you, are you content? Or are you coming in with this baggage of content that is making you even miss the word being preached this morning? to be able to miss the joy of hearing a song sung that could minister to your soul because it can't get past the gatekeeper of your discontentment. Are you missing the joy of being with each other? There are Christians in Denver, everybody. That's amazing. And here we are, some of us that are gathered together here this morning. But is, is, is your life so geared and the furniture in, in your mind so arranged that you can't find joy and even that, I'm going to get here late, I'm going to get out of here early, and I'm not going to fiddle with all of these people. No, you've you got to make sure that this contentment can come along. Listen to what some of the scriptures say in, about contentment. 1 Timothy 6, 6, but godliness with contentment is what? A bummer? No. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. 
Hebrews 13, 5, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. That's the context. We, we know that last part of that verse, but that's the context of it. We have Jesus. Why are we sour about not having something material? We have Jesus. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, I am then content with what? Money, fame, house. That's not what it says, at least not in my Bible. And I hope it doesn't say that in yours. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, finish it for me, then I am strong. You see what's going on here? But the one that you may know real well is from Philippians 4, 11, and 12. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content, for I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. And in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, sometimes we wear that shirt or we see that on the pillow at grandma's house, I can do all things who, through Christ who strengthens me. I can get this. Oh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we think it's that way, that type of strength. But the, but the context of that is being content in what we have and where we are. And it is a sin for us not to be content with what he has given to us. That doesn't mean that we stay where we are and have no ambition and don't try to get better with skills and don't try to really fix our marriage if there's a gaping hole that's there. We, that doesn't mean that we don't try to do things that God makes us aware. It doesn't mean that the ambition's gone. But what we do is in the present time, we are grateful with what he has given to us even as we try to get better and move on and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What hath this to do with, our, with the topic of the morning? Well, verses um, 14 to 26. So this is broken up. Verses 14 to 20 is basically talking about this. Is that there, it's talking about the personification of the, of the, the body parts. Where it's talking about, let me, let me just read verse 14, you'll get the idea. For the body does not consist of one member but of many. Verse 15, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So basically what it's saying is you could slide into this really detrimental issue of saying, well, I wish I had your gifting. Since I don't have your gifting, I'm nothing. I have nothing to contribute to the body of Christ. That's like the ear saying to the eye, since I'm not you, I don't, I'm not a part of it. And what he's saying is, no, 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 no. Everybody has a role. God has assigned to you and apportioned to you a gift as he so chose and put you where he would have you to be. 
that's where we've got to continually seek him because he might be putting you in a place that may not be comfortable for you, but that's how he wired you. Are you ready to go? Well, I don't know. Well, that's, a, that's an attitude of prayer that we need to be having to make sure that we're getting to where we need to be. Okay, so verses 21 to 26. Let me read this one. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor and with our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, and there that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Okay, so pinky toes. Real small. You ever stubbed your pinky toe? Does the rest of the body react? Yes. Um, Your appendix. Little itty-bitty thing. Well, what happens when your appendix start to get inflamed and rough? When, when I had mine out, I mean, there, the, the blood count and the, all that stuff just went out of whack and it affected everything else. If, if that was not addressed and it had ruptured, does that affect other things? Well, well absolutely. And so what he's saying here is, is that there may be some of you that are pinky toes for the cause of Christ. Well, I don't want to be a pinky toe, Right? Some of you are an appendix for the cause of Christ. Do we know what appendixes, appendices, do we know what they do? Some might, we kind of have an idea, regulate something. That's why God put it there. But some of you, you may be an appendix for the cause of Christ. Well, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Well, whatever it is, you're helping regulate things here. We need you. It's okay. Because I do remember when I was sitting as a teenager and I was always just impressed about people who could get up and talk in front of a lot of people because I was I was by nature I mean I I loved being around people but I had my limits and I was I was fairly shy especially around people that I didn't know very well I was very shy and uh, so whenever you 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 go into a new area I was always amazed at people that could just get up and talk in front of a bunch of strangers and God had not called me to that yet, but when he called me to it, and, and the first few times that I went up to try to do it and, and to preach, I mean, it was, it was terrible. It was Youth Sunday. I wish I had preached like Tyler when he got up here to preach on Youth Sunday. I, I was, it was a mess. It, well, I spun out. It was so bad, nobody could follow me, and they were just, I could just tell that they were just praying that uh, everything would just stop, get over with. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was terrible, but over time, when God calls you to do something, that's not, you don't just stay where you are. You try to get better. You, you, you feed the gifts. You try to work it for the glory of God until somebody said it takes about 200 sermons to find your voice. Well, that's, that's four plus years, everybody. If you're a pastor doing it all the time, four years. But if that's what God's called you to do, well, God may be calling you to do a, do a thing. Well, I don't know how to do that. It takes effort. It takes time. It takes coming alongside someone else that's done it before. We're here to help each other do that. Well, I don't want to be that mentor, right? 
Green Bay Packer fans may remember when Aaron Rodgers was drafted by uh, by the um, by the Packers, and they may remember. Uh, yeah, or I'm sorry, Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, he was he was drafted. Brett Favre. Did Brett Favre want to be a, a a mentor to Aaron Rodgers? There, Larry. Not not really. No, no. Packer fans, you remember that. But now we see Aaron Rodgers being a mentor as a Jets quarterback to Zach Wilson. So he ended up being somebody for someone when he was in that position that he wished somebody had been for for him. So you, you, think about, you think through all of these things. We've got to get past, though, what this has been talking about here is, I wish I had your gifting, verses 14 to 20. I have no need of your gifting. I'm fine all by myself. I've got it all together. And both of those are prideful, and both of those are sinful, and both of those need to be repented of. Because what ends up happening? Well, this last piece and this quick piece that will lead us into the Lord's Supper, Christ wants you to still see a more excellent way. Verses 27 to 31, where he's talking about now the members of the, bo- uh, of the body of Christ and individually members of it. You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Verse 28, and God has appointed in the church first apostles. Uh, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues are all apostles. Rhetorical questions. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts? Now, what are the higher gifts? Is there a hierarchy here? apparently there is. Paul wouldn't have said it and the Spirit wouldn't have allowed him to say it if there wasn't a hierarchy. And the hierarchy is that which can more quickly and immediately edify the body in the assembly. So the higher gifts as it's talking about here are that which are apostles and teachers and prophets. Now there's others, these others, I'm not saying they're lower gifts and he's not saying it either, but there's gifts that more quickly edify the body because it's understandable and it's clear because they're spoken words. Words clarify. Actions need words to clarify what you're doing, right? And, and so St. Francis of Assisi a long time ago where he said, you know, preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. Now that sounds really great, but that's absolutely absurd. The gospel's words, the gospel's a message, the gospel's news. You ever try to, to give good news to somebody and not use words? You know, you, you can't do that. You got to like, what are you talking about? You got to give me something. And that's what it is. One to three, verses one to three of the next chapter where it's talking about, I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain what? Nothing. So, you can have incredible speech, being able to understand tongues both in earth and in heaven. You don't have love, what does it mean? Zilch. If you have all of these incredible gifts, but you don't have love, what does it mean? It comes to nothing. And it's the same thing whether even if you sacrifice life itself. But you have love, have not love. 
I've mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago that some of you, you may believe that you're very loving, but you're really loving only to those that agree with you or, or are like you. That's not agape love. Agape, agape love is selfless, sacrificial. It's not about you. It's about loving God, the Lordship, as we talked about earlier, and loving your neighbor as yourself. So here we see these elements. I'm just going to go ahead and ask right now, do all of you who have, are followers of Jesus and have followed in believers' baptism, do you have elements? If not, I believe we can get a deacon or two to be able to come and pass it out. So I'd like you to raise your hand. We may be, may be okay. This is agape love. The broken body and shed blood of Jesus for our sins. Did we deserve it? Yes or no? Did, 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 did we, not only did we deserve it, I mean, was there really anything about us that warranted his grace, that warranted his mercy? No, not at all. And yet he went to the cross on our behalf because that was the only way. It was a selfless, sacrificial love that Jesus gave on our behalf. And he said for us to make sure that there was a tangible way for us to remember what he did. His broken body. I know it's a wafer. I get it. But that is a, is a picture for us to remember the broken body and the, the, the cup that is here, the shed blood. So this is what we're going to do. I think um, that this is the music part in me is that I tend to remember things if they're sung. That's why I love the hymns and I love these songs that are so singable and have some substance to them. It helps us to remember the good news of what Jesus has done for us.